Well, good morning. Our summer's youth group has been in Russellville uh, this weekend at the Christ Teens Youth Conference, and so they'll be back sometime today. And I don't know about the rest of the parents uh, who sent kids, but Thursday night, uh, Thursday evening, was a whole lot of, did you pack your Bible? Uh, how many pairs of uh, you know, clothes do you have? Uh, did you get your bathroom back? Bag packed. How many pairs of socks do you have? Now, this money I'm giving you has to last you till Sunday. And so, you know, it's the same conversation we have every time the kids go somewhere uh, without us. When they travel anywhere, even for one day, there's some sort of conversation like that. And so, we seemingly bombard them with these instructions and these warnings and these what-ifs because normally we would be there to kind of take care of it as it came up, but we're not going to be, and so we just got to make sure, you know, what did we forget, right? Or, or did we cover everything? That is Deuteronomy. That's this book of Deuteronomy. And so the fifth book of the Old Testament is the final book of what the Hebrews know as the Torah, or the teaching, it's the, the law of Moses. And so uh, disobedience and, and disregard for God's provision sent the Israelites into this 40-year wandering until the generation who grumbled and who cowered in fear were all buried in desert graves. And so Moses himself was not immune to the effects of that troublemaking rabble that we looked at last week among these Israelites. And so he would be stopped by God just short of the promised land because as you should have read or will read if you haven't read through yet, he claimed glory and authority for himself by striking that rock instead of speaking to it on behalf of God. And the funny thing is, God still provided the water. God still provided the water for the people. And so I can't imagine when you get to this point what all must have been going through Moses' mind, his head, as he's flooded with all these memories of, of growing up in Pharaoh's palace and, and hiding out for, for 40 years after killing that Egyptian taskmaster and then the plagues and, and the Nile and the tablets and, and all of the faces that he left Egypt with who are all now memories. How many graves has he stood over wandering through this Sinai desert? Not the least of which was his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron. And now the children of of all of those who were led by God's direction, all of those now he must send on alone. Or at least without him, right? What have I forgotten? What, what, What do I need to... Have I covered everything? Deuteronomy means... Second law. It's, it's, it's Deuteronomos is the, the word we get the English from. It's not a second law, but it's a retelling. It's a repeating of the law. It's the, let me remind you. Let me tell you what you should already know. The Hebrews called it, um, and these are the words. And we've talked about how they get those titles, right? And so you look at the very first few words in Deuteronomy and you'll find Here are the words, or these are the words. And so this writing begins with a flashback. And so God's people are on the cusp of entering the promised land. And Moses says, let me remind you how we got here. Let me remind you how you got to this point in time. And so Moses goes back 40 years. 40 years to the area of Sinai. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse 6, "...the Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb and said..." You have stayed in the area of this mountain long enough. It's Sinai. And he tells a story of how the people of God refused to trust Him. 
And instead of entering the promised land, they wandered in the desert for 40 years, right? And so in chapter 2, verse 14, Now the length of time it took for us to go from Kadesh Barnea to the crossing of the Wadi Zered was 38 years. Brought us to this point in time. Time for all the military men of that generation to die, just as the Lord had vowed to them. And so you remember in, 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 from Numbers, all those 20 years and up who grumbled, God said, you're going to die in this desert. You will not see the promised land that you did not trust me to lead you into. And so I was thinking about this. If everyone over the age of 20 is dead and after 40 years, then it's like, what, nobody over age 59 is alive, right? I mean, except for you know, the, the Moses and, 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 and Joshua and Caleb. So, but think about what that means. <laughs> after 40 years, the 20-year-olds are like, what, 60 or so? They'd be the oldest people in the camp. And so all the adults who came out of Egypt in the Exodus died in the desert. None of them would enter the promised land. And so imagine a nation where the oldest folks in the community were just like, I don't know, around 60 years old or so. And most of those were, were just children when God came down at Sinai and delivered the law. Just children when their parents had turned their back from Canaan. I was thinking about, you know, 40 years ago was 1980. Forty years ago was 19... Do you have vivid memories of 1980? I mean, those who are now in their 40s and 50s probably only have vague memories of the events surrounding the Exodus. Think about your childhood memories, those early childhood days. It's blurry, right? And so this is a nation full of people who were born in the desert. This was a young nation where if you've got you know, Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, the old guys, the old people, you talk about a generation gap. And so you think about, are you under the age of 40? If you're under the age of 40, you would have been born in the desert. And so that means that you weren't even barely a twinkle in your parents' eye when they decided it would be too dangerous to go into Canaan. If you're between the ages of 40 and 58 or so, I'm in this group, 40 years ago, we're like 10 years old or so. And so, But we, we would have been there at Mount Sinai, but we would have been very young. When our parents decided not to go into Canaan, we didn't get a vote. They didn't ask us what our opinion was when we heard the report from the spies. And so now we're the generation's geriatrics. That's a, I shouldn't have used that word. Think about it. If you're, if you're over 58, be thankful you were not in that generation that came out of Egypt because you would probably be dead. Very likely. So when Moses says, the Lord said to us at Horeb, you've stayed here long enough at this mountain, he's talking about something that happened like 40 years ago when most of the people weren't even born or certainly can't remember it. They were too young to remember. So look at what Moses says next and, and see if you notice something strange about this in verse 26 of chapter 1. He says, you were not willing to go up, however, but instead rebelled against the Lord your God. So you read through here and you hear this a lot. Why is Moses saying this? You, you, you. Right? It's like a Toby Keith song. If I'd been there, if I'd been sitting there hearing this, I wouldn't want to say, hey, excuse me, Moses. I don't mean to butt in, but I was only like 10 when this stuff was happening. So, you know, that, that was, uh, why are you saying us? That was our parents who did this stuff, right? It wasn't us. How can you say we refused to go up? We didn't even have a say in this. Why are you saying that we grumbled? It wasn't us who did these things. It was our parents. It was them. So what's he doing here? Is he blaming the children for the sins of their parents? I don't think so. I think he's teaching the children, you need to learn from your parents. You need to remember your bloodline 
You. You're all part of this. Whether you had a voice in it or not. This is your people. This is where you've come from. Moses is making a plain. What was in your parents is also in you. You will face the same temptations and the same struggles that they did. And what defeated them, you must overcome. And you must do it in your time and in your life. See, how the, the corruption, the effects of sin on us, it goes deeper than just a few sins or a few mistakes. Because when I get down to really examine myself, there are times when I probably resent God. And I resist His authority over my life. And I, I, I want to assert my independence from God. I want to be my own Savior and my own Lord. And that's part of our humanity. We saw it from the beginning with Adam and Eve, right? This is not a consequence of the fall. This, this way of thinking is not a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. This is the same choice that's been available to humanity from the beginning. This choice is what got us in this position. It hasn't left us, nor has it resulted from. It's part of who we are. And, and giving in to that urge, that sin, causes us to see God's miraculous deliverance as sometimes even God plotting against us. And so this, this is us. <laughs> He's talking to us. And so we hold back God's goodness and we blame Him whenever we experience evil. And so we say, well, here I am in a desert, so it's all God's fault. And we can treat God in His goodness with contempt. We can insult God. And so remember what was said, Deuteronomy 1.28. What's going to happen to us? This is, this is way back. Our brothers have drained away our courage. Remember the spies came back. It's too it's scary. We can't go in. Our brothers have drained away our courage by describing people who are more numerous and taller than we are and great cities whose defenses appear to be as high as heaven itself. Moreover, they saw the Anakites there. There's giants in that land, right? And so when the spies came back from Canaan, ten of them said, it's going to be too difficult. We can't do this. We cannot do this. And what are the people doing? They're blaming the spies. They blame the spies. It's their fault. If they hadn't have said all this, if they hadn't have led us to believe this, we wouldn't be in this position. Boy, isn't it our tendency sometimes to blame our problems on everybody else? We blame everybody else. What's wrong is always somebody else's fault. Because it's hard to think that maybe I might be wrong. <laughs> maybe it's my vision that's a little bit crossed, you know, and not everybody else's. Why is it that I detect that little speck of dust in someone else's eye, well, I can't see that plank of wood, you know, sticking out of my own. Moses says, so I responded to you. Do not be terrified of them. The Lord your God is about to go ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw Him do in Egypt and in the wilderness where you saw Him carrying you along like a man carries his son. This He did everywhere you went until you came to this very place. And so Moses... In, in retelling this, he's calling the next generation into covenant with God. And so he gives this series of, of speeches to them to remind this new generation, you have to overcome this. You have to overcome the same urges and the impulses and the desires that buried your parents in the desert. And so you cannot blame your parents or your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles for the consequences of your choices. There are things that they and we today must own. 
about our past. And we have to take responsibility for our choices that affect our future. And so Moses urges this new generation to remember the greatness of God. But he also tells this new generation to not forget. It's like, what? (laughs) What? Isn't that the same thing? Remember and don't forget. Well, you decide. Let's see here. So the heart of Deuteronomy, the heart of this, this retelling here, and I would say the heart of Moses' entire dissertation is found in the sixth chapter. And so the Hebrews come to identify this as the Shema. The Shema, which means here. The word means here. And so this becomes a prayer over the centuries that they will pray twice a day. And so they come to literally ride it on animal skins and they enclose it in a tiny wooden box and they affix it with a nail to the door frames of their homes. And so Orthodox Jews still do this today, although I think they probably use paper and not animal skins, but some might, I don't know. And so look here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so this was the foundation upon which Israel was asked to follow God out of Egypt, right? Remember this from the beginning. And it's going to remain the foundation upon which they will build God's nation, this nation in the promised land. And so what is the very first commandment? Do you remember there at Sinai? What's the very first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Nobody else. All your heart, soul, in mind, right? And so why are your parents and your grandparents buried in the wilderness? Moses says, why am I not going to be leading you across the border of this promised land? It's because this is the first and foremost point of living in covenant with God. And that is yielding all authority to Him. He is all authority. Not shared authority. All authority. And so we have to relinquish any claim we might have on our own lives because until we do, and unless we do, we're going to be in this constant battle between the Spirit of God and the Spirit in us. And so while God goes to battle against the enemies of our soul, He will yield the ground. This this is baffling. God goes to spiritual war against the enemies of our soul, yet He will yield the ground to our own rebellious spirit. God loves us too much to suppress our own free will. And so Moses urges the people to keep and to do the commandments of God. But but in all this urging and this warning and this reminding, it's all grounded in this Shema. Love the Lord. Love the Lord. And so God's motivation... In, in shaming Pharaoh and in, in convincing Moses to, to step up and lead and, to, and in exerting God's power over nature and, and, and His motivation for enduring 40 years of grumbling and whining from this people as He led them through the desert. God's motivation is to nurture love from His creation. To nurture love from us. They're about to enter a land where the people here worship many other gods. And they just left, their parents left a land where the people worshiped many other gods. And for 40 years now, the God of creation has been proving himself as the one true God. And now comes the time, this is the time when the new generation has to decide for themselves will we worship the Lord our God?
and serve Him only. And so the generation before was forgetful. And it cost them their inheritance. And so Moses wants this new generation to change their family tree. And I, I guess make sure it forks, right? And so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you do this? You do it by not forgetting. Not forgetting. And so these commandments, he says, I, I, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and, and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, it's one thing to remember. But how do you not forget? How do you keep this on your heart? He says you do it by making it part of your everyday life. By, by weaving the instructions of God into your everyday life. And so God's design for the family is to make His Word, His teaching, a part of our everyday life. And so whether it's family meals or family devotionals or attending church or, or schooling our children or playing sports, everything is to involve the Word of God. And so His Word should be read and meditated on and memorized, but, but more so, we ought to be applying God's Word to everyday life. And so we want to think God's thoughts after Him. And this is how we help the, the, our whole family, our, ourselves, and, and our, a spouse or child to love God with all of our being, our whole being. And so we make God's Word central to our lives. Because we cannot impart faith to the next generation until and unless that faith is imprinted on our own hearts first. You remember when Jesus was confronted by Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22 and they come up and they're trying to test Jesus. This is, they don't have good motives behind this. Nonetheless, Jesus is going to teach. And so they come up and they ask Him, Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command? What's the greatest command in the law of Moses? And what did Jesus say? He quoted... The Shema. He quoted the foundation of God's will for our lives. Jesus took them back to the border of Canaan and back to the promise that, of God that He would bless His people if they do this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. And then, he, of course, He went on to say there's equally another command that's, that's tied to this, most important. You love your neighbor as yourself. So everything and anything else of God springs up from this. This is the foundation. Love God, love others. We must remember. But may we first not forget. And so, when your children ask you later on, he says, what are the stipulations, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord our God commanded you? You must say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. And He brought signs and great devastating wonders on Egypt and on Pharaoh and on his whole family before our very eyes. And I, I have delivered us from there, He says, so that He could give us the land that He had promised our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these statutes and to revere Him so that it always go well for us. And He may preserve us as He has to this day. We will be innocent if we carefully keep all these commandments before the Lord our God, just as He demands. Now, did you catch that in, in verse 24? 
This is interesting to me. That, that angry old God of the Old Testament, right? So strict. So controlling. So ridiculous requirements. Did God really say, right? That the thing we wrestle with, is, is God getting great pleasure by just dictating these rules and these in, in, demands and instructions and then watching all of His people trying to keep them? Is that how God gets His kicks? Is this all just a good laugh? I like how the, the New King James brings this out in a, really well here in verse 24. Look at this. He does this. Why? For our good always. Why does God give us this? For our good always. Did you pack your Bible? Do you have your bathroom bag? Do you have enough money? Remember to brush your teeth now. Make sure you stay with someone. Don't run off by yourself. You know, and, and, and it's annoying <laughs> to someone who has limited perspective. Because what seems like a lack of freedom is in fact wanting to ensure blessing in freedom for our good always. But it doesn't always seem that way, does it? There's that little thing called perspective that we've been talking about the last few weeks. When illness comes in our life, we can lose our perspective. When financial hardships come to us, we can lose our perspective. When the work environment is toxic, we can lose our perspective. When family is having growing pains, we can lose our perspective. It's easier, it's easier to give in to that. But is it easier to remember? Or is it easier... To not forget. It seems the one who created us leads us to not forget. But He's also the one that when we stumble in sin, He will call us to remember. He calls us to remember. These young Israelites were facing a challenge like they, they'd never faced before. They're going to be dispersed, spread out into this marvelous inherited land, divided up in these twelve tribes. And, and they, they'd make their way. Right? They're all going to be free to make their own way. Free from the burden of traveling with this, this horde of others, right? Can you imagine just the burden of having to keep up and stay with all these people? Free from the shadow of another tribe. And there, there's excitement in that freedom. But that excitement must be tempered with the realism that none of this is possible without the provision of God. He says, don't forget. Don't forget. And yet they will. They will. Again and again and again. They will go after other gods. They will intermarry with the pagans of the land. And they will forget the Lord their God. But in all of this, He will not forget them. Stubborn people. He will not forget them. God promises to restore them when they repent and when they turn back. And when they remember who they are, and from where they came, and who brought them every step of the way. When they choose God above all else, God will restore them. And God will restore us too. But may we strive to not forget. To not forget. So we commune with the Lord and with each other every Sunday. And we assemble with our brothers and our sisters, and we interact with His Holy Word, and we engage His creation on a daily basis. When we sit in our house, when we walk along the way, when we rise up 
when we lie down to sleep. May we bind the promise of God as a sign on our, on our hand and a frontlet between our eyes. And may we decide in this generation that we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And may the next generation be able to proclaim, we have not forgotten. We have not forgotten because our parents and our family, and the church will not let us forget. Remembering. Remembering, however. Well, that's going to be up to them. What do you need to remember this morning? Do you need to remember that God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, there, we, we are not yet at the promised land. God has an eternal promised land for us. And if we will continue to follow Him through the desert of this life, and we will trust in Him fully, he's, that's where He's leading us to. To be with Him. Relationship with Him. Commune with Him forever. Do you need to remember that today? See, when we let sin attach itself to our lives, we are soon to forget. Because our mind becomes clouded with the cares of this world. Our our, our ears become deafened by the noise of, of the world, the rabble around us. God calls us today to remember. Remember His love for you. Repent of that sin. Ask His forgiveness. And then receive it. And go forward, doing your best by the power of His Spirit to not sin again. But when we do, we have the blood of His Son that continually cleanses us. And this morning, if you have not made a decision to, 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 to make Christ to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to confess your sins, to confess Him as the Lord of your life, to die to yourself, to give yourself to God in the waters of baptism so that you can be washed clean through the blood of Christ, raised up in a new life, receive the gift of His Spirit to lead, guide, encourage, prod, remind, help you not forget each day Will you make that choice today? And as we're assembled together, as brothers and sisters, this body of Christ, if we can pray for you and lift you up to our Father in your time of need. We're going to stand now and sing a song of encouragement. What do you need to remember? And what do you need to pledge not to forget? If we can help you in any way while we stand and sing, will you come?